Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropeneurs of the regenerative movement, people who are committed to planetary purpose. My name is Julian Guderlei, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Stu Zimmerman. Stu is the creator, producer, writer, and talent of only, as only the source. Stu wears many hats on his shaven head, a reformed hedge fund manager, from 1991 until 2001, he has focused on wealth beyond money since about then. His conscious media endeavors include co-authoring the Inner Security and Infinite Wealth book, hosting the nationally syndicated Inside Wealth radio program, creating and producing the conscious business video series Inner Espresso, and co-hosting award-winning Get Conscious Now television program. Through radio and TV, Stu has interviewed such diverse luminaries as Dr. Deepak Chopra, Tommy, Tommy Lasorda, cellular biologist Bruce Lipton, many others such as Byron Katie, Marion Williamson. But today, I'm actually just curious about Stu. And those, so with these words, welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome, Stu. Julian, such a pleasure to be with you, brother. Yeah, let's dive in. And really, I really, first of all, I just want to say, I'm so proud of you and the work that you do here because it's so needed. And you recently got uh, a top 10 uh, acknowledgement for your podcast. So God bless your brother. You absolutely deserve it. Thank you. Yeah, and it, it wouldn't be without those, those amazing guests that, that, that those acknowledgements happen, right? So I feel like dialogues and podcasts are a wonderful way to create narrative that can be shared across the world that people, no matter where they're from, no matter what time zone, no matter what moment in their life can simply tune in. And so I'm noticing we're, we're on the same wavelength. For those who are watching the video, we both are wearing blue. We have a blue background, pretty obviously. But also, you've made your way into transformational storytelling, Stu. And I'm just curious for a moment here to, to track back into the past. If you were to describe some of the adversity that you encountered to have that transformation from like hedge fund management into transformational storytelling yeah yeah well uh, it's, it started with uh, the storytelling of my own life because in in the late 90s at the peak of my financial success uh, running a hedge fund with my name on the door which by some measures was a dream I had had for for quite some time uh, my wife was diagnosed with cancer wound up being terminal and the chemo and radiation was so toxic to her system that I was frantic looking for an alternative healing. And somehow in my uh, quest to find an alternative healer, we found ourselves recommended to go to Sedona, Arizona, which is actually now where I currently live. And uh, what wound up happening was it wound up being a healing for me, actually, and God bless her, not for her. But it actually, uh, my wife, Terry, but it really took me into a, a deep, uh, dark, several nights of the soul, if you will, because the contrast of making more money than I ever thought I would, combined with the, the circumstance of it not buying, the wealth, the financial wealth, not buying me or my family, what we so desperately wanted. It just seemed so like anathema to what I thought my script of life was supposed to be that it really had me not only you know, drop to my knees, but also to ask those deep existential questions 
of who am I? Why am I here? And in my case, what is this thing about money, wealth, and security that not only has me reasonably obsessed, but the smartest people I knew in the world appeared to be even more obsessed with it than, than I was. Yeah, that is quite, quite the, the introspection. I mean, thanks for sharing that. I, that's, that's a very, you know, real circumstance and saddening circumstance in which that, that, that came to you. But as you said, it was a, a journey of healing that began. And so... Yeah. Go ahead. Do you, you want to ask a little more there or should I just kind of start Absolutely. filling in? This is, this is, this is what I'm, I'm trying to land here is like, give us more of this journey that it, it, it started happening for you. Because one of the things that I'm realizing with people who are, you know, from a very wealthy background, a background with money, with, with wealth, with that idea of security is when that transition happens, however it happens the hardest step to make is that into the uncertain. And so I can only imagine from having numbers that are bigger than you were ever dreaming about in your bank account to whatever was next, it was probably hard to predict. Oh, absolutely. Some of the things I did notice were this. One, and I was managing money for some of the people that you may have just described. In fact, it could have been some of the people you were thinking of. People who are worth you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars which, you know, right around 2000, you know, that was still real money. <laughs> it probably still is, but for many people, you know, and I noticed on one level, they absolutely were not happier than any other people that I've noticed. Secondly, if anything, I noticed it actually came with a heightened sense of, heightened sense of mistrust of people as if the money was this great divide and that people were hiding, you know, building higher walls around themselves, thinking that people won't see them for who they are, but rather just for the possessions that they have. So that money actually became a, like a layer of mistrust with others. And in some extreme cases, I actually had a, uh, an investor who had a, a case of what I call jet envy. <laughs> where somehow his private jet wasn't as big as the asshole down the street. <laughs> it's like, it became maddening and, and, and crazy making. And really what I came to understand, both in terms of what security really is, and just as a sense of peace of mind that really is independent of our circumstances. In fact, uh, Pema Chodron once said, if you came, you know, if you're looking for security, you came to the wrong planet. <laughs> I love that quote so much. I know, it's so perfect. And, uh, and, and this wealth, this notion of wealth is, is a state of feeling and, and being more than enough and having more than enough. And so I noticed that people, even with a lot of zeros, with any digit in front, you know, they didn't necessarily have either of those qualities, uh, states of being, either a sense of security, of, a, of a, a real sense of peace of mind, or a sense of having and being more than enough. Because it, by many measures, it felt like they were trying to fill something on the outside, something on the inside with something on the outside, and that was never going to be a fit. Hmm. 
So you were mentioning the word trust and how in other people's lives, the people around you, trust might have been, even though they had all the reason to be feeling safe and secure, trust was lacking. So let me turn this around towards you. Stu, what is required for you to experience and feel trust? Hmm. Uh, ultimately, it's the connection with something greater. And knowing that as much as I'm an individual here having a human experience, that I also know what I'm really ultimately trusting in is, is truth. And so what is really true? Byron Katie, what is really true? And what is really true for me is that there is something infinite living through all of us by whatever name it's called. God, spirit, the source, universe, unified field of consciousness. It doesn't even matter what it's called, energy. It doesn't even matter what it's called. It's just that it's ever present living in all things, timeless, eternal, and, and truly there is nowhere that it is not. And therefore I am an aspect of that and that is something I do trust in. And that actually is the source both of my security, of whatever peace of mind I do experience it is through this awareness, uh, as well as whatever sense of wealth that I have, that it feels like it's such a, a great blessing simply to be incarnate. Uh, because, uh, you know, for all of the strangeness and weirdness that humanity seems to have uh, has a legacy uh, leading up to this moment, well, all of these structures that are in place that really don't serve all of humanity, they only serve like a, you know, a select few, a relative few. And it's still such a blessing to be in this form for however long we have. And uh, this earth is an amazing place to call home. And uh, I hold out for the possibility, in fact, now even, I would say even a greater and greater likelihood of an awakening to what I'm pointing to here in terms of as each of us awaken to this sense of being part of a, a fabric of existence that is all inclusive and all interconnected. just takes the quality of our lives and the quality of our connections with each other to, to deeper, richer levels. Oh, definitely a deep breath there. Wow. Let me, let me digest that. I, you know, I feel like you were, you were speaking about similarities in those people that were trying to always get more money in that first part of your life. But then also similarities in all these people, maybe people you interviewed over the years now that found a deeper sense of trust. The similarity to actually have this understanding there's only one of us here on this, this floating uh, blue rock in space. And so, I mean, in your words, you kind of already described it, but would you say that there's optimism that gets birthed from them? Absolutely. It feels like, yay, you know, this is not the... You know, the, the way things have been are simply a reflection of a past. Mm. And that, yeah, it, you know, trends last longer than people think. And ultimately, all of the structures that are in place, everything that is ever created is simply born from an idea. And if, in fact, we are energy as uh, energy beings interconnected with each other as such, 
as science uh, would have us understand, then as we embrace that and, uh, and give that a ride, then I am imagining and envisioning just kind of like a, uh, a positive virus or even, dare I say, cancer of delight can take us and help to create new ways of being, new structures that support that energy, which I do believe is a self-organizing principle. Yeah, that's definitely a world to, to invest belief and thought into. I guess philosophically, I hear a lot of people share that, you know, everything is a reflection of our consciousness, which I would personally agree with. And so all we have to focus on is where our consciousness is at. Then though, as a collective, in order to get to those self-organizing principles, um, you know, it, it sure sometimes feels like that as a group or a herd, humans are absolutely possible to astonishing things and yet are often reverting back to default mechanisms. And so in your own words, like, how do you, how do you see that growing, that expanding, that changing? Mm. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of possibility for how that occurs. And my sense is that it's going to come from numerous directions and possibly even through exogenous, you know, uh, events. And maybe they're uh, climate related even that bring people closer together. Uh, I, I truly don't know. I, I do know that one of the things uh, that helps to uh, create that tipping point, if you will, or to to get the, a, a greater groundswell of this energy into a form of critical mass to get to that tipping point where the structures really begin to change. I actually feel is through the media that you are doing right now and that you know I do in my way because everybody is tuned in. Uh, it is a, uh, a mode where we get to really uh, leverage messaging into a wide and ever widening group of people now through internet and everything else, you know, everybody around the world can be interconnected. And, uh, you know, so now it's just a matter of uh, what messaging, what kind of energetic are we placing through this uh, neural viral web network? Absolutely. I feel like you and I already talked about this offline another time when we, when we met. You know, there are over 50% of the world's population right now that are younger than 28 years old. And so for that half of the world's population, no matter where they're from, even when, if they're from the poorest parts of the world, the interconnection is much more real. The, the interconnectivity of all of us is much more lived and embodied and a natural experience than it has been to any generation ever before on the planet. And so I can, I can see both how media, how possibly dire circumstances like continued political oppression or, or climate catastrophes can help us, but also simply this, this like groundswell, this like bottom line awareness of how interconnected we are, both from maybe an esoteric perspective, but very much from a factual physical perspective. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a great uh, statistic that you point out because What's really interesting is my sense is the younger people that 50% of the world's population by and large doesn't have the same degree of unlearning to do. Mm -hmm. 
than prior generations who were raised with parents who went through, let's say, the U.S. Depression or World War II-type Holocaust, yeah. uh, which isn't to say that Vietnam didn't have its own you know, deep you know, reverberation of PTSD or that even Afghanistan didn't, you know, because the, all these wars, they do really trigger the nervous system in uh, really unfortunate ways. And that's an energy that we need to uh, somehow find a way to release so that we can be more in a, literally in a place of our hearts. That makes me curious because you speak about unlearning. And so unlearning also requires the first cycles in which we do learn, right? So if you single-handedly or with a group of chosen experts could change the education system at large, and I know you're a father of, of multiple, multiple children, so what would you change? How would you change it? What would be your idea in that context? Well, the one thing I would definitely do is, and maybe this is maybe more of a page out of the Waldorf, Waldorf school system or something, even Montessori, is really focus on creativity. Really focus on emotional intelligence, how to communicate your feelings and be in touch with your feelings. And part of that is a uh, a revisioning of what it is to, let's say, be a, a strong, vital man in society. Because so much has been overlaid on the genders in terms of it's okay for girls to feel their emotions and to feel sadness or even fear. And that somehow is substantially more acceptable than for boys to, because boys have to be strong men and live up to this archetypal legacy of hunter, provider, you know, all of those uh, aggressor, you know, slay the financial dragons. Mm. And, and instead, you know, I'd really invite the education system to support emotional intelligence, to support kids really sharing from their hearts, what they're feeling, which in the process, I think comes full circle into this notion of trust that we talked about. Because ultimately what we're really trusting in is, is a sense of some, you know, being truthful, being reliable, being consistent. I mean, these are the elements of what it is to be, uh, you know, trustworthy. Yeah, absolutely. This is something that definitely was lacking in a lot of educational approaches is this ability to learn to trust into yourself, right? And your curiosities, your innate abilities. There's a few lights that are, that are going on. I think what I want to ask you next is, is the purpose question, you know? So for those people who are watching the video, obviously you have a planet behind you, planet Earth, this wonderful blue marble floating in space that we're living on. And so I mentioned it in the intro as planetary purpose, a form of connectedness that comes from the planet. But in your own words, do what would you say purpose is? And 
you know, having gone through multiple careers, maybe tell us a little bit more about like how it, how it really started that you felt like you were living within purpose. Mm. Well, you know, there, there is this element of uh, kind of Maslow's pyramid from my experience uh, where, you know, first step, that level of uh, success where I had to accumulate. I somehow felt I needed to prove to myself that I could do this. I could be successful in this capitalist society that we live in and, uh, and, and prove that to myself and maybe accumulate stuff for my family before going to a place of, uh, you know, really serving others. Because, you know, I, was, uh, I had enough self-awareness to know that when I was managing money for people with hundreds of millions of dollars or more, that I really wasn't doing anything to impact their lives. I was simply impacting my own and my family's life. And, uh, you know, really. And so I set myself up in a rather benign circumstance there and environment. And I've been spending the last almost 20 years now focusing on how I can best serve humanity. And even now, even crystallizing it even more into serving uh, a golden era of humanity, which I define as something that's peaceful, playful, and loving. And so, again, using the media to serve that feels like that is squarely my purpose. And what I'm noticing is the more that I am focused on purpose and serving something greater than myself, the more the resources, the more the team, whoever else it is to show up to make this, you know, uh, manifesting in this dimension shows up. Mm. Kind of getting out of my own self, so to speak. Beautifully put. Getting out of your own self. So falling into that or surrendering into that trust. Yes, yes. You know, I was really activated by this movie. I highly recommend everybody watch if they haven't seen it yet. It's a documentary about Jim Carrey uh, playing the role of Andy Kaufman. It's on Netflix uh, called Jim and Andy. And he mentions that he so dove into character that Jim Carrey didn't exist in those moments. And therefore, neither did Jim Carrey's personal problems. And then after the filming is over, he realizes he's no longer in character anymore. And now he's back as Jim Carrey and asks the question, who am I now? And who could I be? And I find that to be a really valuable question that I invite everybody to ask themselves. Who am I now? And who can I be? And really invite in the highest form of what that can be. And, and trust in that energy, which in every case is, is more loving, more joyful, more connected with others. And that's the basis of not only living a great individual life, but to really serving this planet and, and humanity. Powerful. Who can I be? And, and especially, I like that metaphor through this Jim Carrey documentary, who am I in the first place, right? If I'm able to forget or leave behind my sorrows and worries. And I think everyone has that experience at some point, if it is on a vacation, if it is 
in a especially prolonged moment of joy, like if it's a night out or if it is a weekend with friends where we kind of temporarily forget the sorrows we have. But then we do come back to them with those mantras like, oh, got to go back to reality or like back, back to the usual. And, and I think those mantras aren't necessarily real unless we make them real. In that sense, I personally really believe in this holographic experience of the universe from our own consciousness lens, you know? And so really appreciate your words there. Yeah, my pleasure. In fact, uh, I could even share with you something that was uh, essentially a dark night that was part of, you know, my own personal uh, evolution and transformation. And that was almost 20 years ago when my wife was deeply terminally ill and just watching you know, someone you love go through like a negative quality of life. It's just, you know, it's heartbreaking, powerless. We had a young son at the time who was three years old and, you know, kind of slaying the financial dragons, as I call them by day and running that hedge fund, relieving the nanny at night to care for our son, uh, having a couple of girls by a prior marriage who was still under 10 years old, uh, I really didn't have the luxury, if that's what that was, of feeling all the pain associated with that circumstance and, you know, had to have that coat of armor on uh, just to be functional and for all the right reasons. And I gave myself permission one time when no one was in the home for the weekend uh, to drop in and to allow in all of this, you know, pain that I had been, you know, rationally avoiding and, and sublimating, but knowing that it was like walking around with cement shoes at the same time. And so with that, I went into the fetal position, curled up into a ball and, and you know, uh, went, uh, I call it like a fetal cramp in that it was almost beyond breath and how black everything was. And my eyes and, and face like just all clenched shut. And bring it on, what you got. And it felt horrible. And I said, okay, what more? Bring it on. I, you know, I, I'm here now. A house of pain, bring it on. As I asked for more and more pain, after some period of time, it was absolutely incredible. But what I saw with my eyes clenched shut as being absolute blackness started to have these pinholes of light until the it, it shredded that whole fabric of dark and it became all light. And I really got it that, you know, on one level, I am that light. On another level, the only reason why I was experiencing so much pain is because I love so deeply. And that pain even went into the fear of having a son who could be emotionally scarred for his life, losing his mother at an early age. And so just having, going through all of that and coming out saying, yes, the only reason why I was in so much pain is because I love so deeply and so much grief is because I love so deeply. And if I didn't love so deeply, then I probably wouldn't have been feeling so much anguish. And nobody can take from me what I am. And I realized I am that light. I am this loving energy. And God bless Terry, if it's her, you know, either karmic agreement or journey to, uh, to lose this life 
her physical body, which she did at a tender age of 41, then it didn't change who I am at the core. And if anything, it helped me to drop in more with self-realization as to who and what I am. And that's something that uh, has really been a foundation that I do trust. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that, Stu. This is some deep insight into the real human stories that help us connect with these ideas of trusting the infinite, right? The understanding and surrendering into bigger principles than our own capacity to manage or control life. In that regard, it might be um, a meager word in comparison to a lot of things you've been gone through, going through, but our society has quite a thing with the idea of happiness. And I'm curious to understand what happiness is still to you at this point in your life, if it is something that you're, you feel like we're, we're entitled or even in, you know, inspired to thrive towards, or what is happiness to you, Stu? Yeah, I, I think it's simply a, a, a description of how we feel in our bodies, right? It's just a vibration, it's just an energetic, just like anything else. And uh, yeah, I, I feel like it's very accessible and really available and because we're all interconnected as energy waves the more of us that are happy you know and it can start with a smile and it's incredible that even fake smiling sends signals to the brain that the body is out of harm's way yeah. and that it's okay to feel all right around that even a fake one and then as we get our eyes involved in a smile, then all of a sudden our, uh, you know, our biochemistry really starts to kick into gear. And uh, it becomes an even deeper and more authentic, you know, full-bodied experience of, of happiness. And so my sense is, you know, I got a friend, Marcy Shimoff, wrote a book, Happy for No Reason, you know. And uh, maybe it's just simply the reason that we get to exist in this form and that we have these senses. So for some of us, it could be a taste of chocolate. Thank goodness, that's so incredible. For some of us, it could be just a, the bouquet of a rose or whatever it is, the, the music that you listen to that really just, you know, turns into your happy dance. Uh, any of the senses can activate this sense of, of, of happiness. And, uh, and I think this happiness is really something to be shared. And it can be shared in the, in the simplest of ways. That's a beautiful answer. Especially in these times when it seems that so many of us forget what a privilege it can be to live in this, you know, in this way we live in the Western cultures. There, there are endless myriads of ways of entertaining ourselves, entertaining each other, being nonstop connected to each other around the world, entertainment we've created. And so even though that might not always make us happy, but maybe that perspective of understanding how special it actually is to live in such a, at least at the baseline, worry-free experience, I think that, that alone is, is a big ticket to 
higher states of contentment in that sense. Yeah, yeah, and I know that another word that hasn't been mentioned but really is underlying all of this is gratitude. Mm -hmm. That for all the craziness, you know, there's a, there's a Yiddish word I love called mishagas, which is uh, craziness, you know, and there seems to be a fair amount of it in the world these days. Yeah. That for all of it, you know, it's still a blessing that we do get to exist and that we do get to grow and grow beyond wherever we've been. And uh, I find that to be a, uh, a great source of, of optimism, of hope, and, uh, and actually excitement. Because uh, there's a curiosity factor that now life can be even more of an adventure. And let's say we're all playing this massive game of consciousness. And maybe the object of the game is to simply be as happy or loving as we can be and see how many other people we can turn on. <laughs> I like that a lot. That seems to be the way we get switched on in the first place is by each other. And so that kind of leads me already to my last question, Stu, which is what is the world that you deem is possible? The world you see when you think of humanity on a, you know, simply a longer, more expanded timeline, like, the way I like to ask this question is in the context of seven generations, which is roughly 200, 210 years. What values or insights do you think there are underlying, you know, this possibility timeline? Yeah, I'm imagining truly a golden era where everybody, and within seven generations, my sense is money will be obsolete. Hmm and that we go from a place of separation, a belief in separation, which in my humble opinion, is really what is underlying all of the structures that are in place today around the world. It's all based on perception of separation, hmm. whether it's separation, ultimately separation from the source of all things, separation from each other, and certainly separation from this planet. So I see a world in seven generations, and frankly, a lot less than seven generations, uh, that is so, that serves all of humanity, where all of the baseline uh, survival needs, food, clothing, shelter, all of that is essentially provided free of charge, unalienable right and that people feel so interconnected as, as one humanity, that innovation and creativity is shared with the brotherhood and sisterhood of man, simply because it's their gift to do so. Not for all the personal gain that could come with it, not to, you know, kind of, keep it for themselves, but rather just take delight in, in serving the whole because we're all in this together and we're all interconnected. And it's a world where in really releasing this notion of separation, then so many of the social ills, whether it's homelessness or violence 
cheating, lying, I think they become more and more obsolete as well. And certainly war becomes obsolete. And all of the resources that otherwise are channeled into defense or offense, as the case may be, yeah. are recycled into serving all of humanity so that we are truly free to live in the abundance that really is inherent on this earth when we have the eyes to see it. Ah, yeah, that abundance that is all around us seems almost like a, a minor miracle that we've been able to create an illusion in which we don't have access to it on a, on a whole spectrum, right? Well, oddly enough, it's that perception of separation to begin with. And all of the, you know, whether it's shame or trying to capture some kind of uh, feeling good about ourselves because of the inherent shame that we, you know, some, whether it's religions or whatever, would have us believe comes with our birth. So it's not a birthright. It's more like a birth wrong. <laughs> yeah that you know as we evolve from that that uh, that we actually get to create the new systems and uh and really be in a world that serves everybody and there is ironically the more we believe in separation the more we believe in scarcity the more scarcity shows up and so the more we believe and really feel the truth of our interconnectedness and the abundance that this world has to offer as well as our creativity has to offer because the world has changed dramatically even in our own lifetimes. I mean, you know, how is it possible that any of us live without a cell phone? <laughs> you know, or, or the internet. I mean, at all, at all of these, these uh, inventions and inspirations which simply started with an idea have taken our way of life to new ways that we haven't, you know, that are still unfolding, that are still unfolding. And so that really is uh, the opportunity here as we've interconnected each other with uh, communications and telecommunications. Now it's like, how can we take the, the, the software of our hearts and our energy and, and, and the love that we can possibly tap into buttressed with the science of what quantum physics is telling us as to what the true nature of reality is as we know it, which always extends far beyond what meets the eye. How can we combine all of that and just kind of, you know, let it loose so that we are actually the ancestors that seven generations from now will look back on and say, what a blessing it is that those ancestors change the course of humanity so that they are able to live a life that may seem like a dream to us. And for them, it's the most real, beautiful existence possible. Powerful. So we may be those ancestors. Stu, thank you so much for this interview, for your time, for your insights, for your philosophy, but also for these experiences that made you speak and come from a completely different angle. 
not just of possibility and a future utopia, but of this true belief and conviction um, that it's not only possible, but almost like an inevitable evolutionary effect to go through this, this time as a shift, you know, in a shift of from the old operating system into complete new ways of interconnecting. So thank you. Mm. Julian, I love your program. I love you. I love what you're up to. And, and thank you for having me, really, truly honored. that's that another episode of green planet blue planet podcast i hope you truly enjoyed this one and received some insights knowledge and a form of learning that you can directly apply to your life into your relationships or maybe even into your business and the way you show up for the world because this is a movement and we're all part of it very much so and we're in this together we're here to create a world of a triple bottom line where you win i win and the entire planet wins we're raising consciousness together, and you know that. That's why you're listening. That's why I love you. So make sure to share the love. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Invite a friend to listen to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And if you have an idea who else you'd like me to interview, make sure you reach out and send me a suggestion. Definitely check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com, the website to the podcast. I've created a lot of different offers for you, free content, free meditations for you to amplify your connection to self, the state of social impact in the world, and for you to connect and listen to who you could support of the people that I actually interview because their missions are ongoing and a lot of them need more collaboration. And after more than 100 episodes now with some of the world's leading social impact experts, I have synthesized my most inspired learnings and takeaways to create coaching and mentorship programs for you and the people around you. Let me share with you about planetary purpose coaching and mentorship experiences. If you're in a space in your life where you're ready to level up to amplify who you are, what's coming through you and what you're doing to give your gift to the world, then I would love to hear from you. And I'd love for you to apply to one of my private mentorships or group mentorships. Because getting all of the juice, all of that life force that's in you out into the world is something you deserve and the entire world around us deserves. Also, I work with people who are entirely new to this, to the topic of planetary purpose or the topic of meditation, the topic of inside evolution and revolution. And if that's you and you're ready to step out of the ordinary and into creation, or if you know someone who is totally ready for that, make sure to check out the website or share the website. And you can also always shoot me a message on Instagram. I'll definitely read it and get back to you. Because, like, guys, this is real life. Let's be in touch and let's create this together. Last but not least, there's a few different group experiences I host, both in person and online. All of them are quantum learning environments, and I'm happy to tell you more. So simply inform yourself and stay connected, because whatever resonates with you, I'm here to support you and bring out more purpose into the world. And with that being said, wherever you are in the world, make sure to be you, show up all the way, be all in. Connect with someone today, make them smile, have yourself a stellar day. Lots of love to you, and until soon.